My name is Chris Anderson. Um, I live now in the Atlanta area. I pastored for just about 25 years. And, um, you know, I know I don't look that old, um, but I started when I was 10. Um, that was just some bad humor. Um, I definitely looked that old, but 25 years of pastoral ministry, uh, 15 and a half years in Ohio as a church planter in the last nine years in Atlanta. And um, I love to preach, but one of the highlights of ministry over the last four or five years is uh, the Lord allowed Killian Hill Baptist Church, where I was pastoring, to send out missionaries. And, um, you know, many churches kind of have a metric for success. You know, you need to be getting larger. You need more people, um, you know, bigger budgets. And, uh, and that's considered success. But what if with an eye on the scriptures, success means that sometimes the church gets smaller? And, um, and rather than just collecting people, um, we actively send people like we see uh, the church at Antioch doing in Acts 13. And, um, you know, a, a burden throughout the, the book of Acts is to see the gospel advance and, and um, really capable leaders leave one church to go and minister elsewhere. And just through a unique work of God in the last four or five years, um, the Lord has allowed Killian Hill to uh, launch people to ministry, uh, two families in South Africa, a couple families in Indonesia, a couple going to Nepal, several going into pastoral ministry. And um, recently, the Lord opened a door for me to transition from pastoring to do missionary recruitment, um, trying to get other churches to have a heart for sending. Um, you know, we have a lot of our churches have a pretty deep bench and people that uh, are useful um, in our churches could be, you know, could go to a dark place and, and be absolutely essential. And um, so now I'm two months into my new ministry, I'm working with biblical ministries worldwide. It's just a, it's a um, Bible believing, gospel believing mission board. And uh, my job is, uh, they call it missions mobilization, but I'm, I'm supposed to be a catalyst for missions. Uh, with that in mind, I'm going to take our attention for just a few minutes to Matthew chapter 9. A very, very familiar text uh, to most of you, I'm sure. Um, you know, we have needs that we want to be praying for in the world, uh, Ukraine, certainly, and Afghanistan. But there is also a, a great shortage of laborers. That's nothing new. Jesus says here, he says in John 4, uh, the harvest is white, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And uh, now we're even saying in the United States, there's so many empty pulpits. Uh, there's fewer and fewer people going into ministry. There's pastors who are leaving ministry. Uh, we need help for the supply. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew 9. So I'm going to read Matthew 9, uh, 35 through 38. We'll make a few comments and hopefully kind of uh, prepare our hearts for our prayer time together. Matthew 9, 35, uh, scripture says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, my new ministry is recruitment. 
but I'm conscious of the fact that uh, I'm not the one that can call people to ministry. I certainly can't send people to ministry. That's above my pay grade. The Lord of the harvest does that work. Um, But he tells us, tells us in Matthew 9 that part of that equation is that we're supposed to be praying for him to do that. And uh, today I'd like to encourage you to pray for laborers, uh, to pray for laborers to go to the mission field, to the world's darkest places, to pray for laborers uh, here in the States for churches that are uh, lacking pastoral care. And uh, scripture tells us to, to pray earnestly, to be fervent about that, uh, asking God uh, to answer. Sometimes we pray for things we don't know what his will is. Uh, so we say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for this, but nevertheless, your, let your will be done. Um, this one, we know the will of God. He He desires that there would be more laborers. He's the one who can execute it. Uh, but we get to play a small role in that. Matthew 9 says that Jesus uh, was moved with compassion when he looked at the multitudes. Uh, there's crowds of people. So, he, you know, do you ever see a mass of people? Maybe uh, you look at a football stadium and, you know, besides the spectacle of the event, you think, wow, there's just a sea of lost people. Um, everyone in that crowd will live somewhere forever. And um, and I just flew into Los Angeles a couple of days ago and it was nighttime. So the lights of the city um, with the mountain backdrop was beautiful. It was also just overwhelming. Jesus had compassion on the crowds, on the multitudes. Um, I'm in Atlanta traffic and, you know, Often my thoughts aren't so sanctified, but occasionally I'll look at just the innumerable cars and think, Lord, there are crowds of people um, that most of whom are lost and they need you. So Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. He saw their distress, primarily their spiritual distress. They were lost. Um, He's moved with compassion for them. But if we step back a little bit before he offered this, um, this command for us to pray for the multitudes, Um, Jesus didn't only have compassion on multitudes. Jesus had compassion on individuals. And if you think through the four Gospels, you know, there'd be an occasion where he would preach to a large crowd. Uh, He would feed thousands. And then when he started teaching, they would all leave. Uh, But most of Jesus' work he did with individuals. Uh, Of course, you know, a few disciples. But you think of him dealing with... um, the woman at the well in John four or Nicodemus in John three, uh, or he would deal with uh, somebody that was paralyzed or with a blind man or the leper or a woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, Jesus, Jesus had an eye for Zacchaeus and for uh, the blind men that were yelling in Jericho for him to have mercy on them. And um, Jesus had compassion on multitudes but Jesus had compassion on individuals, especially um, needy, outcasts, broken people. And uh, if, if your Bibles are open and you can look back to Matthew 8, in Matthew 8 and 9, we have a record of Jesus' ministry to a bunch of very needy individuals. Now, um, we're on the heels of Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. So, The beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus kind of uh, sets out his platform. This is what his kingdom is about. And um, he's going to talk to us about prayer, about the compassion of the Father, about self-righteousness, about our need for him. Um, Best sermon ever preached in history until that moment is the Sermon on the Mount. We come to the end of it and look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. This kind of gives you a look into the heart of Jesus. 
when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So you can imagine, uh, you know, I joke, people are asking him to sign their Bibles. They want a selfie with him. This is a moment. It's like a parade of people. They're so impressed with what he just preached. Uh, But notice Jesus, verse two, it says, behold, a leper came to him, a leper who really shouldn't have been there uh, because he's considered unclean. He's despised. He's, He's not only sick, but the Jews would consider him, you know, kind of deserving of whatever ailment he had because of some supposed sin. But a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Here Jesus has just preached to a multitude of people. And, um, you know, it would have been understandable if this leper comes, it's, it's socially awkward. This is a pariah. It would have been understandable if Jesus, you know, told the disciples, hey, tell this guy to come back later. Um, I'm, I'm busy. This is a, a big moment for us, um, kind of the inauguration of my work. And, um, and no, he actually, he actually kind of ignored the crowd. And he, he looks eyeball to eyeball with this leper, the, the lowest of humanity. And uh, he stops everything else and not only has mercy to heal this man, but he touches him, which, um, which was uh, taboo uh, socially, ceremonially. And Jesus, uh, being the son of God, the incarnate savior, instead of the man's leprosy affecting him by making him unclean, uh, his divine power affects the leper and makes him clean and, and heals him. That begins a series through Matthew 8 and 9. And uh, I'm just kind of glancing over and summarizing, but he heals the leper. We're going to have a centurion. So now we have a Gentile and uh, the centurion is burdened about a servant. Jesus is going to heal that man. Uh, Then we have a record that Jesus uh, healed many, including Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And there are just a bunch of people that come uh, that evening. They brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with the word. He healed all who were sick. Um, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and uh, bore our diseases. Um, you're going to have Jesus calm a storm. And then there's two demoniacs and he comes and he ministers to them. Chapter nine, he heals a paralyzed man. Uh, chapter nine, he, he deals with Matthew, who's a hated tax collector, but Jesus loves him and calls him to be a disciple. Um, he's going to heal a woman who had some uh, issue of blood. She had some kind of hemorrhage and was unclean, and Jesus had compassion on her. And then in the process, he raises a little girl from the dead. He heals somebody who's unable to speak. What I'm saying is Jesus, um, yes, he had compassion on, on crowds, but he had compassion on individuals especially. And um, that is so com- that's so convicting to me. Uh, it can be exciting sometimes for preachers to preach to a lot of people. Uh, but Jesus was much more excited about just being with those who were in need individually. The, whole, the four Gospels give us a constant record of that. And I try to imagine what it would be like to be Jesus. And he, he, he intuitively knew uh, what was happening in people's hearts. He knew their story, didn't need to be told. And, um, you know, imagine he's surrounded by all these people, but he's aware of each problem that each of them had. It must have, it must have been um, just overwhelming. Uh, 
when when scripture describes him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he uh he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows he he was uh we, we don't think of this as a as a an attribute of god but the empathy of jesus um feeling and identifying with the pain and need around what what an example of a savior we have so he noticed the crowds and it was compassionate toward them he saw individuals and he wasn't too busy to engage with them. And to uh, one friend put it, you need to learn the story behind the face. To uh, you know, we don't intuitively know what people are suffering with, but we can ask. You know, uh, the waitress who seems so burdened. If you just ask, you know, um, can is there something I can pray for you about? Do you have a need? Is if if we would just engage and listen, the Lord uh, could open up opportunities for us to serve people uh, like Christ. But his compassion on the multitude comprised of individuals, his compassion on broken individuals like, like us, uh, led him to this command. So he says the harvest is plentiful. We live in a world of billions of people who are without Christ. It's overwhelming. Uh, and his solution is not to get busy. Uh, his solution is to pray for the Lord of the harvest, the one who's sovereign over all of that, pray that he will send out laborers into his harvest. So, uh, my new role has me uh, encouraging churches to send missionaries. Uh, don't just collect people, but train and then deploy people. I use the example of a family. You know, uh, I have four daughters, and now they're they're grown. And if I said, you know, I'm I'm such a good dad that my plan is for my children to live in my basement forever. You know, forty uh, somethings are just living with me forever. You would say that that's backwards. If, if you're an effective father, you should be sending them out to start their own families, right? So success means my family went two, three, four, five, six, and then five, and then it'll be four, and then three, and then back back to two. Well, the church should be doing that. And uh, that's my calling. But again, I'm not the sovereign one. I'm not the one that can call people to ministry. It has to be a work of God. Uh, so an essential part of what the Lord has called us to do in this age is is to pray earnestly, Lord of the harvest, uh, because of your compassion on multitudes, because of your compassion on individuals, give us that heart ourselves. And then Lord, send forth labors and, um, and send missionaries to dark places, stir people. And, and missionaries aren't superheroes that just have this larger than life love for God. They're just normal Christians who are engaged in taking the gospel to needy people. And uh, so today I'd like you, among other things, uh, let's pray together for God to send out more laborers. Let's pray for gospel advance. Uh, let's pray for the encouragement of existing uh, laborers so that we don't have attrition and people leaving the field. Uh, but let's have a heart like Jesus and uh, ask him to send forth laborers. And this is a prayer he's going to answer. He commanded us to pray it. He's certainly going to answer it and uh, do it in a way that will get glory to him alone. So. Uh, let's pray together, ask the Lord of the harvest to send people uh, to those in need.